Last week we looked at some different styles of Christmas cards, discussed whether Christmas cards ought to be religious or secular. Uh, we did that because we wanted to talk a little bit about the history of Christmas, and I'll, we'll do a little more history today and a little more next week. Uh, we learned last week that neither Christmas nor the birthday of Jesus are mentioned in the Bible, uh, just not there. Uh, today, let's talk a little bit more about Christmas history. Uh, in fact, that card that you see there, Merry Christmas, if you mailed that card back in 1645, uh, you'd probably be in jail, uh, or at least in the stocks out in the, the public square. Uh, we talked today about there being a war on Christmas, that people don't want Christmas around, don't want Christ in Christmas and all that. Um, there is kind of one, but in 1645, they were serious. Uh, there was a serious anti-Christmas movement, uh, and it wasn't among the atheists. It wasn't among the secularists. Uh, it was among the Christians. Uh, it started in England, moved to America, uh, in the new colony there. Uh, in England, the Puritans controlled the parliament. And they wanted to change a lot of things. Puritans didn't like the way things went. They thought things were too worldly. And they were trying to straighten out the Church of England, get it back to being more scriptural. Well, Oliver Cromwell, who you see his statue there, he's kind of grinchy looking, isn't he? Uh, he, he didn't like Christmas. Uh, Jim, you can... Take comfort there. There's always been Grinches that don't like Christmas carols. Uh, he was kind of the leader of the Puritans, and he led them into this anti-Christmas movement, if you would. Uh, imagine going shopping on Black Friday and finding this notice on the door of Walmart. I'll read it to you. It says, Public Notice. Uh, the observation of Christmas having been deemed a sacrilege... The exchanging of gifts and greetings, dressing in fine clothing, feasting, and similar satanical practices are hereby forbidden, with the offender liable to a fine of five shillings. Okay? That was the, the law. Uh, and sometimes we wonder where the poor old Puritans got such a bad reputation. Uh, <laughs> that probably came from things like this. But... The Puritans actually had some good points. The Puritans actually knew what we talked about last week, that Christmas isn't in the Bible. God didn't say celebrate a birthday for Christmas, uh, for Jesus. Uh, the Bible says to celebrate his death every week like we just did. And it doesn't mention Christmas or his birth date. Uh, they also reasoned this way. <clears throat> they reasoned that an eternal one, uh, the king of the universe, the creator, the God himself, can't have a, a birthday. That's for pagan gods. And pagans did celebrate birth dates of their gods. But they also reasoned through it this way. One of their slogans was, they for who all days are holy can have no holiday. And if you pronounce it holy day, it makes more sense. They thought if you're Christian, you ought to be worshiping Jesus every day. 
If you're, if you're really making every day holy to Jesus, then how can you take one day out of the year and make it a holy day? Was part of their reasoning. And they didn't like all the things that went on at Christmas, the feasting and the, the drinking and the celebrating, and they thought they could cut that out if they would just eliminate Christmas. So they had lots of reasons not to mention Christmas. Um, but in spite of my puritanical leanings, I still think it's a good idea to talk about Christmas. And we're going to talk about Christmas carols uh, this month. We did last week and we will next week. Uh, people are thinking about the birth of Jesus at this time of year. Uh, like Jim said, there are carols everywhere. Uh, you hear them almost everywhere you go. Now, you'll notice that we've got no big tree in here. We've got no specific Christmas decorations. We won't have a special service on December the 25th. Uh, we'd rather make every day a special one to Jesus. Uh, we think kind of like the Puritans in that way. But I think it's great to spend a few weeks of sermon time on Christmas carols because they got a lot of great teaching in them. Uh, there, there is some fabulous theology in some of the carols. Last Sunday, we looked at Old Little Town of Bethlehem. And we saw that God uses insignificant things, weak things, foolish things, lowly things to be powerful. Now, what's foolish to the world is powerful in God's ways. Today, uh, we're going to talk about joy to the world, the one we just sung. We'll sing, sing it again in just a little while and hopefully with a little more understanding and meaning. Uh, there's actually a couple of songs with this name. Uh, this one does not have a bullfrog named Jeremiah in it. Uh, this is the other joy to the world. Uh, this one can seem a little silly if we don't understand joy. So before we talk about the, the carol, let's talk about joy. Make sure we understand that. A lot of people are not joyful during the holiday season. A lot of people are not happy during the holiday season. Now, I just said two sentences, and they're not redundant. They're, they're completely different. I said some people are not joyful during the holiday season. I said some people are not happy during the holiday season. Two very different things. There's a difference between happiness and joy. The Bible doesn't say much about happiness. Not really much in there about happiness. A lot about joy, though. A lot about being joyful. It's not always possible to be happy. You know, when you're really sick, when you're even a little sick, uh, I, I find it hard to be happy. It aggravates me to be sick. And I wouldn't say at that time that I'm happy. Uh, when you're <clears throat> sad, something's gone wrong in your life, you're grieving over something, you're distraught, you're nervous. It's hard to be happy. In fact, it's impossible to be happy. But then when those circumstances change, you get happy. It's the way we think about it. When you get well, you get happy. When the crisis is over, when the performance is done that you've been nervous about, or whatever, you get happy. Happiness, that's the difference. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. 
In this world, we've got good circumstances, bad, and when we've got bad ones, we're not all the time happy. But you can always be joyful. Joyful is a different thing. It's different than being happy because the circumstances are going well. Uh, There is a joy in this world that you can only know in Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what this carol talks about. This carol was written by Isaac Watts about 300 years ago. Uh, There's only one really kind of reference to Jesus' birth in it, uh, where he says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. That's about all he says about the birth of Christ. Uh, But we call it a carol, and it's one of the most famous carols. It's actually based on Psalm 98. Uh, Psalm 98 was read for you just a moment ago. Let me read it again to you and now connect it with the the, uh, carol, with joy to the world. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love. And his faithfulness to the house of Israel, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. That's where Isaac Watts started this carol. Uh, Watts lived in the late 1600s, early 1700s. His father was a dissenter, a nonconformist. He was against the Church of England and uh, tried to change it, and he got thrown in prison a lot. A lot of the time while Isaac was growing up, his dad was in prison, and Isaac remembered sitting outside the prison with his mother, holding him and uh, teaching him scripture and song. Uh, The inscription on his tomb, I think, is informative about Isaac Watts. It says, Isaac Watts, Doctor of Divinity, pastor of a church of Christ in London, after 50 years of feeble labors in the gospel, interrupted by four years of tiresome sickness, was at last dismissed to rest, November 25th, 1748, age 75. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, I shall also appear with him in glory. That man that had that inscribed on his tomb uh, wrote this carol that we're looking at this morning, Joy to the World. Uh, Let's see what theology we can learn from this carol. We'll read the first verse together, or I'll read it to you. Joy to the World. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. The the first three lines there are the theology. That's why heaven and nature sing. Because of what he said first there. Now, Isaac Watts wrote a lot of songs. A lot of songs we sing. Quite a few of them in our book. Uh, And there's great theology in all of them. In fact, I think I mentioned this before, maybe when we were studying hymns and what a great hymn is and all that. Uh, Hymns used to be written by theologians. 
preachers used to write hymns. Uh, today, musicians write hymns. Uh, we don't have as much theology in general in church songs these days. Uh, for, for all of the old great ones with the great theology teaching in them, uh, it was Watts and Martin Luther and John Wesley and those kind of guys that studied the Bible all day that wrote these hymns and maybe sometimes other people would put music to them. The one we sang right before uh, the scripture reading, uh, Beethoven wrote the music to it. Somebody else wrote, the theologian wrote the words. But but Watts wrote this one, and he put a lot of secrets of real joy. The the nature, heaven and nature is singing joy to the world. And he tells us why. He gives us a number of points. Uh, point one, he says that, yeah, there is joy when the king is received. Let earth receive her king. Now, Remember, we just talked about the little town of Bethlehem. Uh, even when the real king was born, not everybody prepared him room. But Watts says you, you ought to prepare him. Every heart ought to prepare room to receive the king. Remember Herod in the story. He knew about the king. He got the prophecy. He heard that from the wise men. He didn't prepare his heart for him, did he? He didn't want to receive him. He wanted to kill him. He didn't want the king anywhere around. So he was not prepared to receive him. Now, Herod was a, a bad character. He murdered his three sons. He, he wouldn't tolerate a rival king. Uh, there's people like that today. They don't want any rivals. They want to run things. They're in charge. Yeah. So to prepare your heart to receive the king is a, another thing. But Watts is telling us that's where joy is. There's joy when you receive the king. The wise men were looking for him. They wanted to receive him. They knew the story. They'd seen the star. They were trying to find him. But not everybody did. And we know from reading the New Testament, not all the Jews, very few Jews even, accepted Jesus and received their new king. The song says, let earth receive her king. There's the secret that what's put in here. You want joy in your life? Receive the king. Uh, we're created that way. God puts something in all of us that we want a king. That we, we want to worship something. Millions of people over the centuries have not heard about Jesus. So they invent something. They create something. They come up with something. I'll worship this. That's the way we're made. It completes us when we... <clears throat> find the king. A lot of people today not only aren't joyful, they aren't even happy because they haven't found that. An old quote from one who used to be very famous, and I guess you still hear about her some, uh, Madonna, uh, had everything in life as far as money and fame and all of that. And there was an interview that I, I read one time, saw a person, an interviewer asked her, are you a happy person? She said, I'm a tormented person. I have lots of demons I'm wrestling with, but I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness. I'm working toward knowing myself, and I'm assuming that will bring me happiness. 
If you watch the news during her career, she's always searching for something. She tries different religions and this and that. And when this interview came out, that was what she was after. I'm going to know myself, and I think that'll make me happy. Well, Isaac Watts says no. If you want to be joyful in this world, you need to receive the king. Somebody wrote one time, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need would have been money, God would have sent an economist. Our greatest need would have been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was was forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. Joy to the world. Let earth receive her king. Second stanza. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. There's point two. There is joy when the Savior reigns. There's a difference between the first and second stanza. You may notice in this world that there's a lot of people that say, oh yes, I've received the king. You ask people if they're a follower of Jesus, are you a Christian? Have you received Christ? Oh yes. Oh yes. But they're not joyful. And if you begin to ask why or try to figure out why, the Savior's not reigning in their life. They claim to have received him, but he's not reigning. He's not in charge. Jesus ran into people like that all the time. Shouldn't shock us when we run into them. Jesus, people followed Jesus. Multitudes came out to follow him. And they loved it. He was a great teacher. He told great stories. He provided free lunch sometimes. He, he did miracles. They wanted to receive him, and they'd go and talk to him about it. Man, I'd like to be a follower of yours. And Jesus would have a little chat with them about something. One we're told about, the rich young ruler. Jesus had a little chat with him about money. What did the guy say? No, no, I'm not going there. Not going there. Don't talk about my money. You're not going to have any control over that. I'd like to receive you. I'd I'd like to claim that I'm a follower of yours. But don't mess with things in my life. You're not going to reign. Very common for Jesus. Very common today. Some some today receive the king and they kind of work out a deal that they think is acceptable. They say, I'll let him reign for about 1% of the week. I'll let him reign starting at 10 o'clock on Sunday and go until 11, and I might stretch it to 11.15, but about 11, I'll start getting a little nervous and wanting to get on out of here. I'll let him reign for that period of time. See how silly that is? If he reigned in our lives, if we received the king and he reigned in our lives really truly, it would be 24-7 Christianity. It'd make a difference at work, in our family. It'd be make a difference with our friends. It'd make a difference in our money, in our recreation, in everything.
be joy in our life is what Watts is trying to tell us. Third stanza. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Don't let sins and sorrows grow. I think here's watch point three. There is joy when sin stops. Now, I don't mean any of us are sinless. But if we receive the king and he's reigning in our life, our life will start to change. Sin will start to go away. We, things will begin to change for the better. Some people don't understand that. They don't understand the basics about sin. I say sometimes sin causes problems. And that's so such an understatement. It, it's kind of silly to say. But I say it to people sometimes. They'll, they'll come and they'll talk to me and they'll say, well, there's this mess in my life. And we'll finally figure out, oh, some really bad choices have been made. And yes, we may be sorry and repentant and very, very sorry and all that. And God forgive us and all that. But there's still problems. The consequences are still there. Sin does cause problems. Adam and Eve had it made. They had everything. They had a daily walk with God. They were in paradise. God had given them everything they needed. Daily walks in the garden with God. And they sinned. And problems started. Real problems started. And and that's the way sin works. Remember we were talking about the difference between joy and happiness. What did Satan promise Adam and Eve? Happiness. Happiness. He didn't promise them joy. He said, this fruit here, this is good stuff. This will make you wise. This will taste good. It looks good. On and on. All these things, and that's how sin works. It promises a moment, a period, a short period of pleasure. And sin is fun. That's how it works. Sometimes old people try to tell you kids sin isn't fun. Sin is fun. That's why it works. If it wasn't fun, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be a temptation. But it's for a season. It's for a little time. And then the fun is snatched away and the joy is snatched away and the consequences are still there. So what's his key here, I think, is, is we're getting educated here. Some folks think, okay, I'll receive the king. They think they're letting him reign, but they hold on to some sin. You know, now, we can't tell from 10 to 11 on Sunday. We can't see it. We don't know. But somebody's not joyful, their life is a mess because they're holding on to some sin. You want joy in your life? What says? Receive the king, let the Savior reign, and stop that sin. Not with your willpower, not by your force, but when you let him reign, it'll happen. When the Savior is really received, when he really gets to reign, then sin will stop. 
I'll tell you an old cowboy story. Bret Hart was an old Wild West writer and wrote about the, the cowboy days. He wrote one story called The Luck of Roaring Camp, which I've always liked. Uh, Roaring Camp was in his story, was the wildest, toughest, meanest place in the whole country. Uh, filled with miners and cowboys and uh, more murders and thefts and crime there than any place else in the country. It was a terrible place. It was filled almost completely with men. Who went out there, the cowboys and the miners and all that. And that was a bad idea to start with. But it's almost all men. There wasn't one woman in the town. Hart called her Cherokee Sal. And she made her living the only way she knew how. And in his story, she became pregnant by who knows whom. Uh, But she gave birth to the baby. And as she was giving birth, she died. So this rough mining town full of men now had this baby girl. And so what they did was all they knew to do. They got a box and they put some dirty rags in it and they laid the baby in it and tried to take care of her. And as they looked at the baby in this box with dirty rags, they thought, that just doesn't look right. So they sent one guy, he rode 80 miles to get a cradle. He brought back this beautiful rosewood cradle. And when he got back with it, they took the rags and the baby out and put it in the rosewood cradle. And they stood there and looked at it and said, well, that doesn't look quite right. So they sent another guy to Sacramento, and he rode all the way and came back with some silk and lace and a new baby blanket and all sorts of pretty things. So they took the rags out and put all of that in the cradle and put the baby back in. And they said, that looks better. But look how filthy the floor is. And so those old tough miners got down on their hands and knees and scrubbed that floor until it was spotless. And when they were done, they stepped back and thought, that looks better. But, man, the walls are sure dirty. And the windows are grimy and they got no curtains. And so they scrubbed all of the walls and the ceiling and they cleaned the windows and they hung curtains over the windows. And they thought, that looks really good. That's looking better and better. But they also figured out that the baby slept a lot. And when the baby's sleeping, you don't want to wake it up because that causes problems. So they had to cut out a lot of their fighting and brawling and partying. So anytime the baby was sleeping, everybody stayed quiet. And that cut down on a lot of the rough stuff in town. And Roaring Camp seemed to be changing. And when she got a little older, they'd take her out and they'd set her by the entrance to the mine so they could all see her as they went in and out and wanted to kind of watch over her during the day. And as she lay there in her rosewood cradle with the silk and pretty blankets and all that, somebody one day said, you know, it really looks rough around here where she is. Let's clean it up a little bit. So they cleaned all the old rocks off of the entrance to the mine and they raked the ground and they planted some flowers. It began to look a little better. And the miners, when they'd come out of the mine, if they'd found a really beautiful, shiny rock that day, they'd bring it up and they'd put it around where the baby was. And the whole area started to be decorated. And a lot of the men, as they would put their shiny rock down in that clean, beautiful area, they'd happen to look at 
how dirty and grimy their hands were. And soon the general store sold out of soap and shaving gear. You're starting to figure it out, aren't you? The baby was changing everything. The baby, just by being there, changed everything. And what we're learning in this carol, I think, is if the the baby, or the king, or the savior, perhaps is better term, if the Savior's really received, the King is received and the Savior is reigning, He changes things. Sin will stop. Fourth stanza. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nation prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. He rules the world with truth and grace. The first three stanzas were really to any of you here who haven't received the king, who aren't letting him reign, who's still holding on to some sin. If you want joy in your life, the song is telling you what to do about it. This last one, I think, is more for somebody who has, has received the king, who's letting him reign and maybe has their life pretty well cleaned up. What this stanza says is he rules the world with truth and grace. And that's point four. There's joy when there's truth and grace. Everything I've told you is true so far. You need to receive the king. You need to let the Savior reign. You you, you need to stop sin in your life. But a lot of people that do that still don't have joy. They've got a Pharisee problem. They get the truth part and they forget the grace part. The Pharisees had it all figured out. They they knew everything the book said and they did everything the book said. Paul said, I didn't break any laws. They didn't understand about grace. The Pharisees had the heritage and the covenant and, and they'd accepted all that. They had the truth, but they didn't have an ounce of grace. It was all about watching everybody else around them. And it wasn't to watch them to see if they needed God in their lives. It was to watch them to see if they had things as perfect as the Pharisees did. A lot of people teach truth today, but they forget the grace. And you may not deal with that many of them. You run into some of them sometimes. I run into them because Northside's a big church. And we do bigger things sometimes. And when we do something like the area-wide worship or the women's conference or, or something where other people know about it or are a part of it or it's outside these walls, sometimes they'll call or write an anonymous letter or email me or something. And they'll say, I don't think you should do it just like that. Why are you doing it that way? I don't think that's right. You don't have it figured out as perfectly as I do. You know what? I've never talked to one of them that sounded joyful. They sound hateful. They sound kind of angry. They sound self-righteous. That's not joy. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. We are supposed to speak the truth. But if you've received the king and you're letting him reign and you're cleaning up the sin in your life, 
Satan will come in about that time and say, you're something special, buddy. You got to figure it out and you can need to keep your eye on everybody else. I wonder the way Jesus did it. Jesus was big into grace. If you try to keep your eye on everybody else and you just, you try to enforce truth and that's all you're after, you'll be miserable. You're not going to have any joy. If there happens to be somebody here like that that, that doesn't feel joyful, you're always watching for right or wrong or anybody else to do anything wrong. You add a little grace. No, I take that back. Add a whole lot of grace. You can't overdo it on grace. Add a whole bunch of it. When you're dealing with other people, see some joy because he rules the world with truth and grace. Next week, we're going to look at my favorite one, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Joy and the Tomb don't seem to go together, do they? Think about that. Joy and the Tomb. Well, they don't go together very well. On the size of Isaac Watts' tomb, he said, I shall appear with him in glory. He admitted on there that he had a hard old time for a number of years. But I shall appear with him in glory. What's your epitaph going to say? Say, well, I hadn't taken time to write it yet. Well, nobody thinks about it usually too early. But if somebody was writing your epitaph, what would it say? Uh, would it say anything about you being joyful? If that would be the last thing in anybody's mind, then maybe this carol's good for you. Joy to the world. Will your epitaph, if it was written, mention anything about you receiving the king? You letting the Savior reign? How your life was changed by him reigning? How much you showed grace to others? If, as I said those things, if you thought, no, that wouldn't be in my epitaph, then what I pray is that you make the changes so that it would. And I'd pray further that you make that change today if you need to. Let's stand and sing. If you need to change your life, come.